Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome everyone back to the post-game broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I'm coming to you mere moments after UCLA's latest embarrassing loss. This one to Cal. Uh, previously 5-6 and six Cal, now 6-6 six and six Cal. UCLA punched its ticket to a bowl game by losing 33-7 to seven, um, in a game that honestly didn't feel either neither that close nor that competitive. Um, just an absolute disaster blowout. Team looked like it quit in the second half. Uh, just complete uh, domination from Cal. Uh, UCLA couldn't score. Um, they drove the ball okay, and then basically whenever they got, you know, sniffing within the 30, it turned into, you know, some sort of gong show thing. Um, yeah, uh, horrible game. Um, horrible offensive performance. Uh, I've got a great stat for you to lead things off. Uh, Cal had six sacks in this game. And you you might not have watched a lot of Cal football this year. You might be like, oh, okay, they got a good pass rush. No, no, they don't. No, absolutely not. They've got one of the worst pass rushes in college football this year. They had 17 total sacks coming into this game in 11 games. They played 11 games, and they averaged a little over one sack per game, and that includes some games against, like, FCS opponents or whatever they played in the non-conference. Who cares? It doesn't really matter. They had 17 total. And then in this game, they get six. What does that tell you about UCLA's offensive line? Probably nothing good. What does it tell you about UCLA's play calling in this game? Was it designed to win this game? Doesn't seem like it. UCLA had 47 passes in this game, and that doesn't include the six sacks or the 11 runs for Dante Moore, I'm guessing all of which were dropbacks. I don't, you know, have the film in front of me right now, but I'm guessing all 11 of those were dropbacks. So that means that they dropped back to pass on 58 plays in this game. They only had 83 plays in this game. That's just, that's not designing a game plan to win a game, especially when you're playing Dante Moore in there. Um, I think the balance actually got worse with him in the game. And he didn't come in when it was a blowout. It wasn't a blowout. This was not a blowout until the very, very end of the game because Cal wasn't scoring a ton. Uh, there was no excuse for that that split. And this has been something I've been banging the drum on all season. Makes absolutely no sense. It'll never make any sense. Carson Steele had 12 carries in this game, and TJ Harden had 10. They had 22 total carries. Dante Moore threw the ball 38 times, and he dropped back to pass, I believe, 49 times. That's insane. That's that's not that's not calling a game to win a game. That is calling a game to prove a point or to do some funny stuff that you can show in clinics next, in the offseason. I don't know. But it's not calling a, a game the way you would want to to win a game. Um, 
yeah, I mean, offensively, so Ethan Garbers uh, got hurt early, um, again, because of offensive line issues. Garrett DiGiorgio had a horrible game, was replaced by Jalen Jeffers about halfway through, uh, who also wasn't good. Uh, Bruno Fino was not good on the left side. I don't know when he got replaced by Kadir Kunta. I think it was in the fourth quarter, um, but he was replaced as well. Um, both of those guys are just allowing hit after hit after hit on these quarterbacks. Uh, Ethan Garbers took a hit right under his right shoulder. It looked like a separation to me. Uh, and then Dante Moore came in, um, and Garbers was moving it okay, but honestly, Dante Moore moved it okay between the 20s, so I don't even know how how significantly different it would have been with Garbers in there the whole game, but it would have been somewhat different, because when Moore came in, he looked completely unready. On his first throw, of course, Chip Kelly calls, you know, the one pass play that has been like the disaster zone for Dante Moore all season, which is why cross right over the middle, uh, and he throws a pick into what I believe was quadruple coverage in the end zone, which was, um, you know, an interesting choice. Um, and so that stalled that first drive, and from then on it was, you know, just just tough, tough offensive drive after tough offensive drive. UCLA racked up 380 total yards. It was on 83 total plays, but it wasn't like they were not moving the ball okay. It's just whenever they got, like, basically crossed midfield, it was just done. Um, Moore threw another pick. He also fumbled it uh, around his own 10 on a weird-looking play where he looked like he thought he heard a whistle or something because he just kind of stood there. Um, Colson Yankoff had a fumble uh, on a kickoff return. It was kind of the greatest hits of all these things that, you know, were knowable issues going into the season. And I don't want to sound like I'm I'm banging on Colson Yankoff because I like Colson Yankoff. I think he's a good player. I think he's being put in a horrible position. Um, you know, that's a that's a tight end body. Um, it's a guy who should be catching balls downfield. Um, he shouldn't be first having to be a running back because he's he's super tall. When you have a high center of gravity and it's you know it's easier to rock that ball loose. It's kind of harder to hold on to it, and you're a big big target that can be hit really hard. Uh, and that applies doubly so on kickoff return. Um, and I think that's his second fumble this year. It's just unfortunate because he's a really good kid. And uh, I think it's it's really unfortunate that uh, Chip Kelly put him in that position uh, when he's never done it before. Um, silly. Just silly decision making that doesn't make any sense. Uh, but he fumbled and that was um, kind of led to the nail in the coffin. Um so that was uh, the turnovers, um, but Dante Moore um, just, you know, he had some moments, he had some decent throws, but he doesn't, he looks nothing like the guy we saw at the beginning of the year. He looks, you know, I mean, for lack of a better word, and I'm not trying to psychoanalyze a guy from afar, he looks a little checked out. He also looks like he's a little shell-shocked by this season, because um, if you remember the beginning of the year, and yeah, it was against bad teams, and it was against an FCS opponent and a couple of G5s. He didn't look like this. Like he didn't look like he'd lost all confidence, which is where it is right now. Um, I thought it was ridiculous that they kept throwing him in there and out there. Um, you know, this would have been, I think, after the fumble, maybe after the second pick, one of the two. Um, Chase Griffin time, and not because you think you're going to win the game with Chase Griffin, just because he's going to play with a little bit of poise and uh, not going to have his future and confidence ruined by playing behind this offensive line. And I think that was sort of the situation with Moore. I, and it's been the situation this year. You you don't want to just... We've seen that... I've seen that happen with a lot of, like, quarterbacks in other leagues. Um, there was a Penn State quarterback a few years back who had a really bad offensive line, and it just seemed like it really set back his career. Um, and I think for Moore, um, 
playing behind this offensive line is about the worst development you can get. Um, just taking hits constantly, never able to like just scan a field. I, I think people would be amazed by how much better he would look in like, I mean, not to, not to, you know, hit a sore spot, but in Oregon's offense where the offensive line protects you. Um, this one doesn't, um, they did not, uh, UCLA, Tim Drevno, Jip Kelly, the whole lot of them did not give this offense an offensive line to succeed this year. Um, and that's, that's the critical failure there. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, so defensively, uh, it wasn't a good performance. I think we can all agree on that. We can all, you know, shake hands. Um, it wasn't, you know, should it have been a 33 point performance? No, a lot of that was because of the offensive struggles, but it was still going to be more points than they really should give up to Cal. I mean, I, I think we can all, you know, generally agree on that. They did get a touchdown off of, you know, the, the fumble, um, on the, 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 they did get two touchdowns off of fumbles in UCLA territory, the one from Moore and then the one from Yankoff. Um, but they were also moving the ball. Okay. Some of the time, like at the beginning of the game, they had a seven play 54 yard drive, then a nine play 43 yard drive. Then at the end of the game, they had a 10 play 48 yard drive and then a 12 play 51 yard drive. It's not like they weren't able to move the ball. And that's kind of the surprising thing. I think even early when the defense was clearly engaged, Fernando Mendoza was hitting some plays over the top. Um, the passing game was working a little bit and he made some critical, critical mistakes but if you, you know, the, the interception, um, I'm thinking especially of the interception to Leatu Latu. Um, you know, he overthrew the one to Kamari Ramsey, but that's, you know, those kinds of things happen. The dropping one to Leatu Latu is just a bad, bad read. Um, but other than that, he, he moved the ball okay um, throughout the game. And then at the end of the game, you know, Jaden Ott's numbers are kind of inflated by... Um, what do we want to call it? The relaxation of the UCLA defense on that last drive, the quitting, whatever you want to call it. doesn't really matter. Uh, he, he padded his numbers a little bit there at the end. Um, but still, they averaged, you know, a little under four yards a rush, um, which is, you know, one of the worst totals for UCLA's defense this year. Um, and Cal averaged a little under five yards of play. Now, I said before the game this was a good offense, but it wasn't, you know, it was, it was fine. I mean... It wasn't like Arizona and Oregon State. This Cal offensive line was eh, not great at protecting Fernando Mendoza, and UCLA only got one sack. Um, yeah, I just didn't. It, it didn't seem like UCLA had the same fire in this one. Maybe a little bit of that USC letdown. Maybe the case that um, you know the taste of Arizona and Arizona State doesn't quite go away just because you beat USC, and maybe the underlying issues that were present for those games continued in this game, and the players all decided collectively they were going to play hard for the usc game because uh it's the usc game i don't know that's a theory um but anyway um uh, this was a blowout 33 to 7 um no no sugar coating that one no uh gosh if only a couple of bounces had gone the other way um nope this was this is a profound blowout uh of ucla by cal uh previously again five and six cal um, that will now be bowling thanks to UCLA's largesse here. Um, and the Bruins now have to, and the administration, um, key stakeholders, uh, now have to contend with the idea that UCLA is seven and five in a year where I think the most doomsday scenarios had UCLA going eight and four. Um, and they are three, three of their last four they lost, 
uh, two of those games at home to previously losing teams, one of which just finished the season today, uh, 3-9. and nine. Uh, Arizona State, uh, just for everyone's reference in case you weren't watching, uh, they gave up 59 points to Arizona uh, today. They gave up 49 points to Oregon last week. Then we'll ignore what they did the week before. And then they gave up Utah. They gave up 55 points. So in three of their last four games, teams have scored at least 49 points on Arizona State. UCLA scored seven. Seven points on Arizona State. Um, so that's not great. Um, but they So they lost to a 3-9 and nine team. They lost to a now 6-6 six and six team. Um, they've lost three of four to end the year. The only win over a USC team that had clearly quit. Um, obviously... Uh, in any kind of sane world, this regime would be, you know, on its way out now at this point. Clearly, the fan base is done. Uh, clearly, the team is, you know, at some level done. Um, clearly not necessarily inspired um, by the regime. Um, we'll see how sane of a world we live in, I guess, is the uh, the point going forward. Uh, UCLA went seven and five. Chip Kelly is now thirty four and thirty four. He's seven and twenty eight against winning teams. Uh, has never sniffed a conference championship in six seasons at UCLA. Uh, in his peak seasons, these uh, let's call them these last three seasons twenty one, twenty two, and twenty three. Uh, he has never won. He's never lost fewer than four games. He's lost four games or more every single year. And those were against three of the weakest schedules in UCLA history. Like, am I, here's the question I have for you. Am I being unfair? Does that feel unfair? Because I feel like those are just kind of the basic, um, you know, tale of the tape stuff. But if you feel like I'm being unfair, I'd like to hear it. Um, but at this point, I just, I'm having trouble finding the justification case um, for continuing with this. Heading into the Big Ten, uh, UCLA is going to need some juice. Uh, if they're going to actually try to compete to win, if they're going to actually try to be a player in the Big Ten, if that whole idea of being a championship-level program isn't complete bunk, then something needs to change because recruiting is going to be... I don't know if dead in the water even is going to fairly describe it. They're going to have a lot to replace with not a whole lot of resources to do it. And by resources, I do mean money. Um what can inspire money and giving is a new coach. But at this point, I'm having a hard time seeing Chip Kelly inspiring that, even if he decided to go whole hog. I think people are pretty cheesed off with being 34 and 34 over the last six years. And yeah, some of it is also being, oh gosh, in the last three years of Mora being 18 and 20, and you add that to the 34 and 34. But it's nine years now. And the longer you let this extend, the longer that malaise con continues. UCLA has a recent example of ending that malaise. There was the Carl Durrell years and the Rick Neuheisel years, and that was about nine years of pretty much consistent malaise with the one brief blip around, you know, 2005, 10, and 2, and then the uh, 13 to 9 at the end of 2006. Somewhere in there, maybe it felt exciting for a moment. But other than that, it was malaise, nothing but malaise for nine years. And then they literally hired a failed Nepo baby Atlanta Falcons head coach who just cared, wanted to win, and suddenly it was exciting. People gave to the tune of building a friggin' football facility, and they won, you know, pretty well. 
it wasn't even that great. It was like 29 and 11 over three years, but they beat some really good teams in that time. And, uh, and it was exciting. It was fun. They were part of the national conversation and it literally took one coaching hire. That's all it takes. There's not, you don't need to go into the deep history to find this. It was literally two coaches ago. Um, so anyway, I think, um, we've made our position clear. Um, and I think, I think the fan base has made its position clear. And now the ultimate question is whether, um, anything is going to come of that. So we'll see. All right. We'll be back again this week, uh, with some recap stuff of the football season, as well as some previews of upcoming basketball games and all sorts of other fun stuff. All right. Talk to you soon. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. 